if we were Phil Knight today, or if we were like Kevin Plank from Under Armour today, right? Or even Adi Dostler today, how would we build an authentic sports brand? What is good, everybody? This is Michael Sakan, founder and host of Our Future. We are a media company and podcast democratizing business knowledge by producing engaging, digestible interviews that young people actually want to consume. And today, I'm joined by Matthias Metternich, who's sitting across from me on Zoom, co-founder and CEO of Our Sport Live from LA. Welcome to the show. Super pumped for this one. Super pumped for this one. Cool. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's give the listeners an understanding of the incredible company you've built in Art of Sport. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Art of Sport is a uh, skincare brand uh, that I started with um, Kobe Bryant and with my co-founder, Brian Lee. Brian founded LegalZoom um, uh, way back in the day, one of the big internet companies out there, and then uh, founded Honest Company with Jessica Alba, which just went public. Um, And we make skincare products for men. And uh, we make them for athletes um, and and people who live active lifestyles and who are discerning about what they put on their skin. So we put a lot of science into our formulas. We make daily essentials like deodorant and body wash and soap and lotion and everything you put on your skin. And our vision is to basically do what Nike did for apparel way back in the day or Gatorade did in the beverage space, but for application. Um, And we didn't see anybody... Uh, we didn't see any real sports brands touching that. So we're the first. Um, and we're also joined by some awesome athletes as part of our actual kind of call it design committee, production committee. They're real partners in the business. And they include people like James Harden, uh, Javi Baez from the Cubs, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, Ryan Sheckler, Kim yeah. Roxon, um, Abby you, guys, you have the craziest lineup of... Uh, you know, athletes who are rocking this brand, living this brand, and not to mention the all-star team, you know, obviously, you know, Kobe and, and Brian Lee. So, you know, I, I think the question that I want to ask you now, it's usually the question I ask first, but I, I like to, that we set it up with the definition of art of sport. Uh, when you were my age, when you were like 21 years old, what did you envision yourself doing? Because I would bet a lot of money with you right now. I don't know if you want to to do that, 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 uh, you didn't see yourself starting a personal care products brand. You know, I didn't, uh, that's, that's, that's a lot of money I would have lost had I taken that bet. But, um, I, I, you know, I've been building companies since I was about, uh, 14. So by the time I was 21, I built, uh, it was my second company. I was on my second business. Um, and, uh, you know, I always saw myself as an entrepreneur and making things. And I think that's the, that's the distinction. I never really thought of myself Purely as an entrepreneur, I just thought of myself as somebody who makes things and wants to put cool shit out into the universe. And um, generally, in the process, you learn about building businesses and you realize how to build products, how to financial model, how to raise capital, how to sell products, how to build a brand, all these sorts of things you learn along the way. So I'm self-taught and uh, art sports my, my fifth business at this point. So I think that we need to get to the founding story of art sports. So I believe that the business was founded. You were in a store of some sort, right? And these, these uh, other companies, they put sport on their bottle, but they weren't living that, that phrase, right? Like they weren't sporty in any way. It was much more a marketing tagline than an operational necessity of that brand. And that's right. That's right. Yeah. We saw, we saw, 
you know, one of the things you can do when you're looking for opportunities in blank space um, is is just you know really swim in the in the world of the consumer. And so, you know, if if you if you spend enough time taking in what the consumer is experiencing and dwelling in those different categories and sort of doing some back of the napkin math, you can probably look at certain categories and be like, hey, that's a really big business. That's a really big category. Why are there only two or three legacy players in the space? What we saw in um, in the skincare game was. We saw a lot of people using the word sport, to your point. We saw them using it as a marketing device, um, you know, and we saw brands like Gillette um, and we'd met the guy at Gillette who basically was like, yep, that was me. I put sport on the label. And we were like, well, what did you do to the formula? And he's like, nothing. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Like the average consumer won't know, but you know, you knew that there wasn't really any innovation or anything in the organization mm-hmm. that was driven toward making that a real sport product or for athletes, right? You just... You just use it as a marketing device. And I think a lot of consumers have historically and will continue to fall for that kind of stuff. But um, it's very different from when you're building like a Nike, right? When you build a Nike, you're building it on the field with athletes every day. And people in the organization know that that's what you're focused on and that's who you're serving. And you put a lot of time and effort and resource into innovating for the athlete. And if you do that really well, it cascades down into everyone who wants to live that lifestyle. Yeah, it's a, a phenomenal idea. I mean, the cool thing is you don't really see a lot of personal care product brands just, you know, pop up. We have seen some, like we've seen like Native and and others, you know, pursuing kind of this natural thing. And I think you guys identified like a really good segment of the market and, you know, uh, focusing on someone with, with a certain lifestyle um, and with certain beliefs about, you know, what they do and wanting to associate like a brand with that. You know, I think 100%. with with Axe, it was, um, you know, a certain population, you know, wanted to, you know, care at how they were perceived by others. Right. And there's this population that uh, wants to to feel as if, um, you know, that what they put on their body aligns with the activity and the thing they put their body through. Right. Um, so how, how old are you? What are you about 10 years older than me in your early 30s? Yeah, I'm mid 30s and 35. So you grew up with Kobe. Kobe playing like when you were 10, you were sure. probably, he was just getting started, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He was already playing. I mean, he was, yeah. he was a very big figure at the time. Um, you know, and it's crazy to think that, you know, in Kobe's early days, he was, he was playing with Jordan. Um, you know, we, we sort of think back oh, on like Jordan so, so long ago. Right. But actually like when Kobe was a kid, they were, they were, they were sizing each other up and that would have been awesome to see. But, um, yeah, Kobe was Kobe was a real inspiration. And when and when Brian and I started the business, you know, we really thought about who in the athlete world can we bring on to this business in a way that's really deeply, deeply uh, material. Like, let's not just go sign an athlete. Like, that's something we could always do. But like, if we were Phil Knight today, or if we were like Kevin Plank from Under Armour today, right, or even Adi Dostler today, how would we build an authentic sports brand? And those guys, they like cobbled together shoes on the field, right? And they like put it in the hands of the athlete. But we live in an era now where embracing the athlete in the business in a material way as an actual co-founder, that to us was a really exciting idea. Like that that for us took it to the next level in terms yeah. of building a, re- a real sports business. And so um, Yeah, ahead. it happened, happened at the perfect time when we see athletes becoming investors. We're seeing celebrities and influencers really embrace their platform and the capital they have to deploy. Like hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was and an exciting time. And, and, and it's an exciting time. The thing is, 
what's interesting is, is there's within all these subjects, there's a lot of nuance, right? So like, if you look at the average influencer, let's say she's a young girl and she's got a huge following and she's becoming famous, you know, her relationship with a product nine times out of 10, maybe doesn't really extend beyond, Oh, I like the flavor, right. Or, Oh, this is cool. You know, but, but very rarely is there like a really deep affinity for it coming from a play, a world of experience as well. So what's exciting about the athlete, what's different about the athlete is the athlete has, especially somebody like Kobe has put their life on the line and put their body on the line for decades. And they've lived this mentality and they've built championship teams and they focus and live and breathe sport. So when they get behind a brand that's about sport, and when they get behind a product that they feel is made for the athlete, they have a lot to say about it. They have a lot of real intention and they're very, that's what they hold themselves to. So that's the kind of person you bring on. And if they endorse it, they're endorsing it as in, with a deep belief that this product is superior, right? It's not just a, Hey, this is a cool fad or Hey, this is a cool product or Hey, this is a cool new fragrance or whatever. It's this shit is made for athletes. It's made for people like me. I know the athlete and I'm willing to put this in the product in the hands of other athletes. And so that's right. why ath athletes are particularly powerful when it comes to using them as, as partners and influencers mm -hmm. in an organization. Yeah. And honestly, for a sports brand, perfect, you know, and, and you really, you have the alignment and uh, it's, it's less, you know, Gillette, you know, just doing something with an athlete for the sake of doing something with an athlete. Like, yeah. Again, the DNA of your brand is aligned with those who you have to market it. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I think obviously Kobe was, you know, the, the, the most extraordinary person you could have could have worked with to launch this brand. Um, how, how was that first meeting with him? I mean, were you, was it just crazy? Like you, you out of body experience and how long yeah. into the, the, you started the brand in 2018. How long after were you talking with Kobe Bryant? We started in 2018 and we were talking to him in 2018 and early 2018 too. So it's really, really almost day zero. Um, we, we, you know, the first meeting was incredibly memorable for me. I mean, I, I had literally maybe a year or two before that seen him playing on the, on the court. And, um, and uh, I, for some reason or another, you know, I, I felt this, deep affinity for him, not just cause I kind of grew up with him, but or grew up watching him play. But I, I, something about his, his charisma and his attitude and his personality that felt very personal, like personable and personal. Like it was, it was almost like I knew this person. Um, mm -hmm. so I didn't feel, I didn't feel so much as awestruck, um, as much as I felt like, Hey, this is such a privilege to meet somebody that I feel like I understand and I appreciate. And I want to, I want to get his, I want to get his feedback more than anything. So, right. um, and so we presented it. He, he got his hands dirty, like opened up the vials and smelled things. So you had samples, you brought, you yeah, had, samples had samples at that point. Yeah. Oh, wow. Samples. And that's uh, crazy. Yeah. And he said, yes, he, he, said, he said, yes, yes. he said, this is a fantastic yeah. idea. <laughs> he said, he said, why doesn't this, how does this not exist yet? Were his words. Yeah. Um, which is a good sign. And remember he was working on body armor as well. Right. So he, he built, yeah. Yeah. you know, he, he built Nike, helped build Nike into what it was. So he did it in apparel. Then he did it in beverage with body armor. So it was only natural for him to be like, how is this not something that exists in application? Mm -hmm. Um, and then where we went from there was pretty cool because, because we thought to ourselves, Hey, we should align ourselves with some of the greatest athletes out there. In addition to Kobe, and the goal for us was how do we how do we make that a real cross section of the country? How do we 
how do we, as a uh, sport, as a platform is highly democratic and it's highly meritocratic and it's also highly diverse. And so if you look across the country and the world that we live in today, we live in a highly diverse country with lots of different types of people with lots of different types of perspectives. And so the idea of bringing around us, you know, black athletes, Hispanic athletes, white athletes, men and women, young, older guys and girls, um, even people who grew up poor people who didn't go to college. Some of them were first generation immigrants. Like this is America. Right. And that's, right. and that's how we, that's how we decided to build our stable of. And do you, do you feel like you just knew it would succeed the minute you got Kobe? Like was the founding um, strategy to find someone that would just make this business successful from the start? Like, I think, I think we, I think, I think you always, you should always try and stack the odds in your favor. Um, if you're going to start a business, you know, you want to stack the deck and, and you want to find competitive advantages that are unique to you, really unique to you. Like I see a lot of startups and I, you know, um, engage with a lot of entrepreneurs early on in their process. And nine times out of 10, you know, it's sort of like incremental improvements. It's stuff they may be sourced on Amazon or Alibaba and they throw it up on, on Amazon. It's, it's maybe sort of like new services, like subscription idea. And a lot of it's just kind of like, what is, what is the, the real needle mover for you? What's going to be the catalyst for you? And, and is this a point of differentiation within the category that is so clear and so obvious that, that if you injected some capital into it and you took it and scaled it, is this language going to translate to a lot of different people? And, and then you start to think about all these other aspects, right? Distribution. What are the key elements of distribution? I always like to say that, you know, entrepreneurs, when they first start, they think about their idea a lot. And then as you get older and keep doing more ideas or, or more businesses, all you start to really care about is distribution. And you start to really wonder what is, what is going to unlock a lot of distribution for this thing. And that's how you then whittle your way back into, I think, a lot of how you construct the concept, how you construct the product, how you construct your pricing, how you construct all of these aspects. And that gives you, that gives you I think, in totality, a business that theoretically could be a success. But of course, you know, it's also timing. It's also luck. It's about who you know. It's about all these other factors that you can't control for. So I never think of myself as like, Oh, this is going to be a slam dunk, and and I certainly don't even think that now. Like it's just the culmination of a lot of hard work, and it's the team. It's the it's the it's the it's the work ethic, and the focus and the energy of the team. Um, that's that together, and with a lot of hard work plus time, you know, either either lends itself or leads to success or or to failure. Um, so I think we stacked the deck, and then I think we did the hard work, and we're still doing the hard work today. So who are the <clears throat> excuse me? Who are the list of celebrities, well, athletes that you guys have re repping the brand. You mentioned James Harden, there's a TV commercial with him, and there was, you know, um, Ryan Sheckler, and uh, who else? Who, who else was essential to this brand? We signed Juju Smith-Schuster mm -hmm. um, right out of college when he was in his first year with the Steelers. Um, we signed Javi Baez from the Cubs. Um, we signed Ken Roxon, who's a motocross and supercross yeah. champion. And then we also signed Sage Erickson, who was uh, who's a U.S. surf Surfer. champion. Mm -hmm. And she's yeah. awesome because she brings the female perspective to the party, but she also thinks about the environment. She thinks about like the athlete outdoors in, in an environment, right? So so this all contributed, I think, to, to, to having a bunch of diverse and strong opinions. Um, and that's who we launched the brand with. And between them, they've got about 75 million followers across their social channels. Yeah, I mean, is that why the headcount is low? I mean, you you have this built-in marketing machines by virtue of these 
athletes you you work with, right? These celebrity startups to say have mm-hmm. relatively low headcount because you don't need the the marketing. Yeah. It depends. It depends. It, like, it's all you, outsourced. Yeah, to an extent, it's outsourced. But like, if I were to have built, if we were to have built this business with just leaning on their social channels, we wouldn't have gotten very far. Mm-hmm. Because the the key is for us is we have to turn up to where athletes work and where they live and we have to be there on the field we have to be present as as any of these sports brands would be because like samples like samples like um telling the brand story and why we exist why skincare matters to the Mm -hmm. athlete um you know partnering with other teams and putting them in lockers um talking to gym i mean you have to do the ground game because that's how you grow a community um, you don't grow a community top down through celebrities. That's, that's always a recipe for disaster. So it has I think it's a misconception that if the minute you get an influencer, it means the business will be, you know, you'll just plug it into their social and it'll sell. It's not true. It doesn't work. No, you have to look partner with them primarily for the authenticity and the voice they can bring. And then the, 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 the promotion they can do through their channels is the sort of cherry on top. But if you're going to predicate your, your model on like a super low cost of acquisition because of the fact that they've got all these followers that's misguided. And, and, and you're probably under investing then, or under, you're making assumptions about, you know, how few dollars you need to put elsewhere, which if you haven't, if you don't have the right capital, you know, you could find yourself having all this inventory thinking that these celebrities are going to make you really big the products, not selling at the clip you need it to. And then you don't have enough capital to really market it and build an actual marketing <laughs> marketing plan. Yeah, I think it is a, a massive misconception. It's cool to to hear from someone who is so deeply immersed in the, the influencer world. Um, why don't we speed up and just give a bit of an overview on kind of how the company has progressed, right? So, you know, yeah. Kobe Bryant, day zero, um, you know, and you guys were selling on Amazon and online website at first. And I like that you said that, you know, Amazon was a great proving ground because if you can sell something on Amazon, you can probably sell it anywhere in such a commoditized marketplace. Um, when did you expand out of digital and into, I believe target was your first retailer. Yeah. So since we've launched, um, every year we've been the fastest growing men's skincare brand in the country. So in our first year on, uh, we had the good fortune of partnering with Amazon to headline prime day. Um, so we headlined prime day with a couple of other brands that they, that they, that they marketed. And so we found our name and press going out to the world talking about, you know, launching a new fragrance specifically designed for that moment with Kobe called victory, which has been one of our best selling fragrances since. So that catapulted the business that then culminated in our second year into the, uh, the largest, uh, uh, skincare rollout, uh, that target had ever done. Um, and we launched 14 products across um, their full chain, 1,600 locations in the country. That was year two. Year three this year, we uh, we added 14,000 approximately new retail locations on top of, of our target distribution. Right. So now we're at 15,000 doors, uh, including places like CVS and, and uh, Walgreens and places where a lot more people have a lot more uh, interaction on a daily basis with, with products in our assortment. Um, and, you know, we have a lot lined up for, for next year that we're super pumped about and super excited about, but we've, you know, we've, 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 we've gone from, you know, call it three in the last 14 months, we've gone from zero to 15,000 doors, which has been, which has been interesting. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. 
And so you learn a lot, you learn a lot. And the team has done incredibly well, um, uh, adapting from a, from an online only business to a, to an omni-channel business. Um, so what do you think are the big takeaways for young entrepreneurs out of this, this journey that you've been on, uh, that you can identify? Um, because I'm sort of a maker by, by sort of just passion, I got into the weeds and taught myself how to code. Then I taught myself how to design. Then I taught myself financial modeling. Then I taught myself how to cold call and go and pitch ideas to people. Then I taught myself how to go raise capital and, and manage a PL. And then I, you know, so I, and I didn't do any of those things brilliantly from day one. It took me a lot of time to get, get good at those skills. But now I at least have a toolbox that's relatively fluent where I can look at an idea. I've got some pattern recognition. I can see the things that are the shortcomings or the, or the positives. I can then go, you know, whip up my Excel spreadsheet and do some basic modeling. I can do some basic research on the market. I can then design those products. I can literally design the brand and the prototypes. And then I can put that in a pitch deck and I can go and take it to investors or my network. And I can, you know, show them what I'm thinking about. And nine times out of 10, it's a shit idea, right? Nine times out of 10, it like doesn't go anywhere. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But it's a muscle, it's a craft, and it's it's really important to exercise that craft. And if you love that stuff, you'll do it naturally. If you're forcing yourself to have to do all that stuff and you're agonizing about it and it's a chore and it's not fun, and but you, you want to be rich because you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be rich. Maybe the, maybe the startup game's not for you and that's okay. Yeah, no way. You know, that, that, that's okay, right? Um, but I think like that's a misconception. I think everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and everyone wants to start a business. And I think those are the things I would do to sort of test whether or not test the hypothesis mm -hmm. of whether you actually are an entrepreneur. And then if you are, you'll naturally do those things and make those things. And actually, you don't need that much advice from people because you're going right. to find your that passion back to what we're doing. You know, I love what you're doing. I love what you're up to. And I think I think it's very much needed. And I think this generation needs that more of that. So if I can be helpful to you. Give me a shout. Let me know how I can be helpful. I would love to. I would love to. We're planning something big here, and I want to figure out how I can take this to the moon. So I would love to uh, to reach out in the future. So thank you. Appreciate it so much. Well, Michael. All right, dude. I'll All talk right, to you soon. Matthias, thank you so much, man. Seriously. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Matthias Metternich, co-founder and CEO of Art of Sport, sharing the incredible story of building a defining brand in skincare in such a short amount of time, zero to 15,000 locations. It was such an inspiring conversation and also sharing some of the honest, more raw truths about entrepreneurship for young people and sharing a ton of advice with me personally. I felt like I grew a lot from this interview and it went longer than I usually do, but really I'm sitting here and it, and it felt like a really, really awesome conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, please leave our future review on Apple Podcasts. It's the number one way to grow downloads for this podcast and to get awareness for it. And I want you to do one more thing before we meet again on the audio channel, or if you're watching this on YouTube, please stay frosty, everybody. Peace out.